If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and open them to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Finally, after uh, what, over three months, we have stepped out of the death and darkness of Good Friday into the life and the light of Easter morning. We're going to pick up our study today at 2413. And if you look at the passage, it's called the road to Emmaus. And it, it, it's a rather long section. It runs all the way to verse 35. Uh, we're going to read the, the, the entirety of the section today because it's one story. And, and I want us to get the whole thing. You know, I want us to get it all. And we're not going to be able to take it apart uh, this morning, but we'll read the whole thing. We're going to study it over two weekends. And so Um, You know, this weekend, uh, I'm going to take the front end of the story. And then next weekend, uh, I will take the back end of the story. And we will will finish it out. Uh, By way of context, let me say, the morning dew has dried. It's dried up. It's gone. It's evaporated. Of Easter morning. It's, uh, the, the women have gone to the tomb, right? They, they were informed by the angels. He's not here. He's alive. And uh, they run back to the crowd uh, of disciples and they give that report to them. It was met with skepticism and unbelief. Uh, Luke says the group of disciples thought the women, what they said, it was nonsense. And uh, as Michael, you know, reminds us, that's a, it's a medical term. It means that's delirious babble. That's what comes out of people when they're out of their mind. That's, (laughs) that's what they thought of what the lady said about Christ being risen. Peter runs to the tomb, okay? He goes back to the tomb, and there he finds it empty, just as they said it would be. Interestingly, he makes his way home, marveling at what has happened. Uh, I, I made this observation on Easter morning. It's interesting that of this crowd, right? That, and I say a crowd, you know, there's probably 20 to 30 people in this story that are experiencing these things. You got the 11 apostles, you got three women named, some more women that aren't named. You got other disciples that are there. Of this, of this larger group, it, it, there's only this small part, this small percentage who believe. I would put Peter in that category. Okay, he went home, he was marveling. Marvel, here it, it means to, to be extraordinarily impressed by or even disturbed by something. So what I'm saying is that, you know, marvel does not equal belief. Marvel uh, does not equal trust. Marvel does not equal faith. Not, not even for Peter, Peter at this point when it comes to the resurrection. And it raises an interesting question. How is it that those who were there uh, how is it that those, as we'll see uh, over the next few weeks, who touched him, who, who heard him, who, who literally saw him. Every time we see this happen, it's always just a small group who believe most of them don't. How, does, how do they miss it? Most importantly, I would say this. How do they finally get it? Because they get it. Or you and I would not be sitting here, right, doing what we're doing. See, it's not an exaggeration to say that on Easter morning, the tenor of that day, you know, for us, it's such a celebration. But can I say that the tenor of the day overall was a day of unbelief, doubt, confusion, hopelessness, and despair. That's what ruled the day for, for, for them. And for the weeks that followed, you know, uh, John's gospel says this, that the disciples, 
you know, were huddled behind closed doors. They locked the doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leadership. If we were to go to the book of Acts, we would find that this group of disciples whom I've already described as living in unbelief, doubt, confusion, hopelessness, and despair, they go from being huddled behind locked doors in case somebody's going to get, they're going to get us too. They go from that to the book of Acts, uh, Acts 17. These disciples are coming to that town and the people in the town say, uh-uh, not those guys who are turning the world upside down. So how do you, how do they go from fear to this bold proclamation in life? Well, we're going to find out in this story. I want you to know, that here's what we do know. We know from, from there, from where they were post-resurrection uh, to where they are in Acts and the, you know, they're turning the world upside down. We do know this in, in, in Acts 1, the Spirit comes. Oh my gosh, there's a reason. Absolutely. For apart from the Spirit, they can never do that. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons they went from this to this was the Spirit indwelt them and empowered them and enabled them. But there's something else. It was not just that the Spirit came. There's something we find in our passage that came for them as well. I want to ask you to stand one more time. Would you do that and as we read God's Word? I'm going to take us through the passage again, verses 13 to 35. Read the whole story. It, it is a crazy, masterful piece of storytelling. Y'all, when you read it, I'm going to read it slowly because I just want you to be, read the story. You know, I want you to be in the story. It's got intrigue and mystery and, you know, ten, there's tension in the story. Oh my gosh, how's it going to be resolved? What's going to happen? You know, it's one of those stories too where we, the readers, you know how oftentimes you read a good book and you know things that the characters don't. You went, yeah, oh my gosh, they don't know it, but we do. And, and that's what Luke does in this story. Follow along in your Bibles as I read it. Verse 13, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, both of them speaking now, The things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a mighty prophet, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he, this is Jesus, said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the group what the group there was saying, the Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. They, that's the two, began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, the story, I want you to notice, it comes full circle geographically, okay? Uh, that, that, they, the story ends, okay, where they began. Uh, they, they, they start, uh, they're in Jerusalem, okay, and they make their way to Emmaus. And then they make their way back to Jerusalem. So it's kind of, there's a part of which you say, well, they didn't go anywhere because <laughs> it all happened. They, they, they went, they're, they're back where they started. Here's what I want us to see. The journey itself change them. And if you and I will put ourselves in this story and in this journey, I, I believe it with all my heart, it changes us as well. N.T. Wright uh, said this, learn to live inside this story and you will find it inexhaustible. You will. I hope that I just prick your interest on it today because what I'm going to ask you to do is between now and next week, just read it. I, I mean this. I've read it several times. Just read it and just keep reading it and put yourself in it and you will find its riches. It's inexhaustible every time you read it. Now, the story itself goes this way. There's three parts in a sense. There is the walk, you know, from Jerusalem, the walk to Emmaus. Okay, and then there is this meal at Emmaus. And then there's this walk back to Jerusalem. Those three parts, you know, make up this story. We're just going to take the first one today. Again, in light of time, and I'm going fin to finish the message next week. It, it will we'll be more overview today and talk about one principle I want us to see. And then we'll, we'll get deeper next week in a sense and even more practical in terms of its application. But today we're going to walk to 
Emmaus. I'm going to walk us back through the passage and then offer you uh, an application, a so what, you know, that we can consider. Uh, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, very, you know, this is what you do when what you have been hoping in, you know, is gone. It's lost. You, you go home. In all likelihood, they're going, they're going home. They're done. They're going home. Uh, very common to, 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 to be walking this path. And it's not uncommon for someone to join you. Which, you know, just picture them walking, you know, this path. Picture them walking the path. They're talking. They're interacting. And by the way, the Greek language there reminds us it, they were very intense. It was like they, they kept having these questions. They, they kept talking and discussing it. And they had no answers. It was, it was a very lively discussion is what I'm saying. And a, a third traveler shows up and, and, and inserts himself uh, into the story. Now the passage here says that they were prevented from seeing that it was Christ. Um, what, what I want us to keep in mind here is that for whatever reason, and I think we're going to see part of the reason in a moment, you know, God keeps them from seeing it's Jesus. But it's not like they were looking... It's not like this guy came up and he was so bloodied and scarred and gruesome that they noticed that. It's just they, they didn't, it didn't say anything about that. He just asked a question and, you know, they'll respond here in a moment. But this is Jesus in his resurrected body. And, and later on in the story, they're going to recognize him. So it's not like, you know, he was one thing and then you know, he was something else. In some way, he was always there and then God opened their eyes to see him. And it's a glimpse, men and women of our future. You know, his, he's going to actually walk through walls. He's going to poof, disappear in a moment, whatever. But I'm telling you, he had a body. And what we believe the Bible teaches is that the, the, the resurrection is a bodily resurrection. It's not just like his soul kept living forever. No, his body was reconnected to his soul. And in this resurrected body, he, he does live forever. And he's still in it today. And we one day will have that resurrected body. And listen, it will never break. We'll never get sick. It'll always be whole. Something I want you to consider right here on the front end as they're walking to Emmaus. If God is keeping them from recognizing him in this moment, then clearly seeing Jesus Christ risen is not the most important thing to faith. Seeing the risen Christ is not the, 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 the most important thing to living with hope. I said at Easter, you know, and it's only borne out again as we study the resurrection appearances that seeing him risen is not like winning the faith lottery. You know, it's, it's oftentimes we think if I, if I could only see him, then it would be like a boat's come in. Whew, my faith is secure and done. I believe and it's all. No, no, no. Or that would have happened here, but it doesn't because they did see him. And every time they see him, the larger group does not believe. Seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. Well, then what is? Okay, well, he's actually going to show us. And we'll touch on it this morning. Verse 17. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stopped and they stood still. Um, I, I, I just think it's interesting. You know, he's keeping us in the story. You know, they're walking and when, when he asked that question, they stopped. They stood still. 
I've always wondered, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm wondering, when do they start walking again? I've got some ideas, you know. But they stopped. And their, their posture towards Christ in this stopping, and, and their words, you know, reveal something uh, about them. And I want to ask you this. If, just imagine if, if you were Christ. Okay, I know, I know we, this is hard to do in some ways. I don't want to overdo this, but... If, if you were Christ and you had just gone through what you went through for your best friends and you had just been risen from the grave, you took your life back, you risen from the grave and, and they're walking along and they don't get it and they don't even believe it. And you're, and you're listening to their conversation. I'm just asking, how would you, how would you respond to them? See, I, I go, I... I don't think I would have just asked him a question, right? I don't think I'd have been that kind, so to speak. But, you know, that's putting ourselves uh, in the story. I, I, I think if I'd have heard that, I think I would have shamed them. Like, are you kidding me? You know, something, something along those lines. Verse 18, one of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one? <laughs> who shames who? <laughs> Cleopas. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? You talk about literary irony. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? See, okay, it, he uses this word, uh, uh, you know, Cliff says, are you the only one in town unaware? <clears throat> oh my God. You just want to go, I'm going to slap you. You know, I mean... Because the one who took the beatings, the one who died, the one that everything's about, he's the one that just asked the question. So, this is what Luke wants us to see. They're unaware. (laughs) Not the one that they asked. You know, Jesus is the only one who can make sense of all these things, right? They're walking along the road. They got no answers. They're utterly confused. They're hopeless. And they turn to him and say, Are, have you had your head in the sand all week? You know, you don't know what's going on. Now, now, when they did that, let me ask you again. How would you have responded? If, again, you're Jesus and they go, Hello? Are you... It makes what Jesus says next all the more amazing. Because how does Jesus respond? He said to them, what things? Oh my gosh. And I got to believe he said it with tremendous kindness. He said, what things? I, I'm asking us how you would respond. And, and again, people, this is where I, you know, I, I want to be careful with this. But you, know, you, can, you can, in the spirit, imagine yourself how you would respond. You can put, your, you know, put yourself in the story. And I want to put us there in that way because I think Luke is trying to show us at one level, here's the the multiple layers on this story, how unlike us, Jesus is. That just pops off to me. How, How different he is than me in my flesh. I mean, how, you know, you look at it and you go, oh my word, how patient. Oh, how gracious and kind. How, oh my, how gentle he is to these <laughs> knuckleheads in a way, you know. And, 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 and I'd be myself in that. 
me add this word of application. Think of it this way. You know, some of us, as we interact with folks who don't know Christ, can I, can I say this at, a broadest, at its broadest level? One of the things I think that Easter tells us is belief is hard. I, I do. I, I think it just says, you know, it's, just an, it's not easy to believe these things. There's a, there's a process to belief in a sense and then a moment of belief, certainly. But I, I just want to remind us in this way, as, as we interact with those who, who don't know Christ, one of the most gracious, productive, biblical things that we can do is ask questions. Not tell. Not point. Just ask. Here, here's what I want to invite all of us because, you know, our mission is to proclaim Christ. But can I invite all of us to start right here? with a gracious curiosity about other people's lives. Oh my goodness. The, the doors that would fly open for all of us. If we just take Jesus' example and just, just be graciously curious. What, what things? In other words, what's troubling you? And just listen. And watch God open those doors that we can walk through with the gospel. Well, uh, they answer the question, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. 19 to 25 is their answer, and I can tell you this, they're spot on, really. Um, the problem is they, they lead, they're missing, you know, a very crucial part. Um, look at verse 20 with me again. They end their statement by saying, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. And then I want you to notice the next words out of their mouth. In other words, they end with what? They crucified him. And I want you to know this next word is out of their mouth. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, I think at that moment is the death of hope. Because see, for them, they crucified him. We thought he was going to be this and he's not. Do you see that? So hope dies because they, if I can say this, they leave him dead in a sense. Now they do recount what the women said. But Luke has already read their mind. You know, so we already know what they think. What do they think of the women's words? They think it was nonsense, right? It was babble. Then Jesus speaks, and I am going to read verses 25 to 27 because everything changes. Everything changes when Jesus speaks now. Listen to what he said. O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. By the way, this would be from Genesis all the way through Malachi over in chapter in the same chapter, verse 44, he says, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. He's talking about the Old Testament, you know, our, our, our Old Testament, so to speak. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Wow. Uh, note that Jesus has taken the report of the women off the table. In other words, they give the report of the women, but Jesus doesn't, he doesn't say, I want you to notice this, he doesn't say, don't you remember what the women said? So that's off the table. He's not going there in terms of their, their lack of faith, their unbelief. I want you to notice as well that he, he's, he's taken the empty tomb off the table. 
Notice here that, you know, they're, they're, they have not believed he's risen and he doesn't go to the, uh, the physical evidence, so to speak. He doesn't say, are you, are you, do you, you know, Peter saw the empty tomb and you know he saw the empty tomb. He doesn't go to the empty tomb. So that's off the table, okay? And, and then I want to say this. I think he takes himself off the table in this way. He's standing in front of them and now God's causing this. They can't recognize him. So in a sense, you know, them seeing him is off the table. See, so he takes all those things. He takes, you know, if you're going to, if we're going to go from huddled behind closed doors, fearful to, you know, they change the world. If we're going to go from there to there, that something's happening right here. And Jesus is not saying, you need to see me. Uh, you need to remember the empty tomb. And you need to listen to what those ladies said. Because they said the truth. He doesn't say that. Where does he take us? I mean, where does he take us for hope? Hmm. The only thing on the table, according to Jesus, is everything that the prophets, prophets have spoken. Everything that has been spoken about me, that's what's on the table. And that's where you go. We're going to stop right there. We're going to pick it up next week, but we've walked to Emmaus. We're going to eat a meal next week in Emmaus and journey back to Jerusalem. But I want to offer you one application, one so what. If you're a guest, we always say, so what? Okay, what... You know, what does that mean? What do I do with that? Well, I'm going to offer you one to ponder. Uh, it seems to me that Jesus says something that stops us in our own tracks when he says this. I said earlier, right? I said, seeing is not believing. Not biblically. Seeing is not believing. And I said, well, well, well what is? Well, God determined there's something more important to faith, more important to hope than seeing Jesus. And the answer to that question is in our text. I'll say it this way. Our greatest need is not to see the risen Jesus, but to believe what has been written about him. I mean, if, if I summarize what Jesus says here, our great, you know, he knows our greatest need and that's what he's going to address. And that's what he addresses here. Our greatest need is not to see the risen Jesus, but to believe what has been written about him. Do you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus over in, um, it's, it's Luke 16. There was a rich man and there was this man named Lazarus and it's a parable, but they, you know, they, they die and the rich man goes to hell. He goes to life separated from God forever. And then Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham as it's described. He's in heaven. He's, and, and the rich man is, you know, he asks, just a little drop of water and, and Abraham says there's a chasm, chasm between heaven and hell that can't be crossed that can't do that and the rich man says oh well we'll send someone to my brothers because I do not want them to end up here and send someone so they won't end up here and it's interesting Abraham or God's response in this but he said to them if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. So he's saying if, if they don't just take, and remember they don't have the New Testament, if they don't take Genesis to Malachi, if they don't, if they don't listen to that, then someone could rise from the dead and they would not believe. Men and women, the purpose of the resurrection is not to make people believe. Okay? Just let's get clear. God didn't raise Jesus from the dead 
with his fingers crossed going, now when I do this big one, this is the biggie. Oh my gosh, when I pull this one off, everyone's gonna come. No, that's not why people believe. And he didn't raise Jesus from the dead so people would believe. He resurrected him from the dead. Let's, you know, a little theology here, but because he had no sin. Justice says the wages of sin is death. Therefore, if any of us sin, and we all do, then justice is we die. But justice is just as equal to say if there's no sin, then there, you can't, there's no death can't hold that. Can't hold a person down. And it's exactly what God did. He raised Jesus from the grave. Why? Because he had no sin of his own. So he raised him from the grave. And he rose from the grave to validate that the payment for sin that God requires of sin was satisfied. In other words, all the wrath of God was spent. It's done. It's covered. It's done by Christ. He absorbed it for all of us. And boom, therefore, he rises from the grave to live forever. And all who trust in Christ, you see, there's no wrath left for us, so to speak. It's all been poured on Christ. So therefore, he's raised from the grave. I want to be careful how I say this, and I'll ask you to be careful how you hear it. Um, as important and central as the resurrection of Christ is, it cannot and must not be separated from, from what God has revealed. You can't separate the resurrection and what God has said and spoken and promised. What I'm trying to say is of first importance and final importance when it comes to faith, when it comes to living with hope, I mean, when it comes to being huddled behind a door or proclaiming the life and living with a vibrant, real hope, when it comes to that, we need to remember and believe and trust all that God has spoken. And we have it. We have it. I mentioned at Easter that I have not read any of the gone to heaven and come back books. Uh, I've had them given to me. And I know some of you have been tremendously blessed by those. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not disparaging them. But here, you know, I'm only saying this in the context of this text. Okay, I've not read any of them. And I'm not saying that what happened to the boy or the adults or whatever, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying it's not true, not at all. But what I am saying is that their experience doesn't hold a candle. I mean, it's not even on the same planet as what God said. I'm just telling Their experience doesn't hold a candle what God has already said and spoken and promised. Do you understand what I'm saying? Heaven is real. Not because you went and came back, but because God said it's real. And we've got to move our faith here. We've got to center it here because this never changes. I'm going to tell you, this is somewhat silly, but it's absolutely true. My memory's so bad. If I saw Jesus, I would forget. <laughs> I would forget I saw him. And on a serious note, if you did, I'm telling you over time, you'd wonder, did I really? Yeah, I'm just, you know, so we don't have to base it on an experience. We get to base our faith on a revealed word that is ours. And listen to this. 500 years from now, it'll still be here. It'll be exactly what it said. What did he say? That's what he said. And what God says, I'm going to talk more about this next week. But, you know, when God deems something necessary, can I tell you something? It will happen. 
See, that's our hope. The certainty of God's word. Charles Simeon, Anglican pastor, uh, early 1800s, hundreds, he said this, an ignorance of the scriptures is far more injurious to us than we are apt to imagine. For it lies at the root of all our errors, both in faith and practice. Well, that's exactly what Jesus just said in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. If we're walking on that road, what do you do with that? I want you to take a moment, would you? So what? We always ask, so what here? We try to put ourselves in a place to apply what we're learning. Oh, Lord, what do you want to teach me through that? What do I do with that? What do I believe? Would you take a moment and consider what Christ has said to you today? Let me invite you to stand as we are dismissed. And I'm going to take us back to where we began with this. Uh, Ronnie, great words. We sang that song, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What a great word, what a great promise. It's true. <laughs> it is absolutely true. And, you know, we read this really, you know, we, we tend to go to Galatians f for that. Because that's what Galatians is all about. It's all about freedom that Christ is paid the penalty and set us free from the penalty of death and bondage, etc. Well, just a reminder, you know, on Easter morning, uh, Galatians hadn't been written. <laughs> uh, but Isaiah had been written for a long time. And see where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. When Christ comes, there's freedom because God said it would be. And he said it in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is speaking of Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. All of Scripture pointing to Christ. You are dismissed.